Each week on Emergency, you will hear discussions from EMTs, paramedics, physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses, and other healthcare professionals who are experienced providers in emergency medical care. These guests discuss their personal experiences in the world of emergency, as well as what it takes to provide care in some of the most stressful environments possible. There will also be honest conversations with people who have received emergency medical care, and they will bravely share their experiences as a patient who may have needed an emergency intervention. Expect funny, educational, and insightful conversations, which will illuminate the humanistic side of an often misrepresented profession. The Emergency Podcast is hosted by me, Samantha Barella, owner of Emerge Education Solutions, and I'm also a currently licensed paramedic. I want to give you a heads up that um, our episode today may contain some profanity language as well as some uh, gross descriptions about human anatomy and injuries and illnesses. So listener discretion is advised. Let's jump into our episode. One of my best friends is a nurse and she has worked for New Mexico Donor Services for several years. Michelle Silva is here with us today and is sharing her experience working for donor services and with organ donor patients. Even though these patients are unresponsive, each one is a person with an individual story. Each of these patients is a hero in saving the life of a stranger or even multiple strangers through organ donation. Personally, I can say that when I have been on a scene with a patient in cardiac arrest, I have not considered that the patient may be a donor candidate. And I'm sure I'm not alone with that. I think this is an area where EMS can do better and really make a big impact in saving multiple lives. For more information about donor services and EMS, please visit www.emergeeducationsolutions.com. One of my best, best friends is here to really share on a topic with us that I don't think a lot of us in EMS really think about. So I'm super excited to have Michelle Silva here in the studio with me. Hi, Hi. Mish. Welcome. So exciting. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm really, really glad that you have the experience of donor to share with us. Um, So Michelle's going to be talking about organ donation with us today. Um, I know it's an area in EMS that we probably should have a better idea about, better knowledge of thinking of it as a resource for people, but honestly, we never do. So I'm really excited you get to share your experience with donor with us. I am super excited to talk about this too, (laughs) because I love organ donation. Like, tell me why. Like, what what do you love about it? Um, It takes one of the saddest moments in people's lives, Mm -hmm. I think, and brings light to it, gives them something to look forward to, something positive. Mm -hmm. At the end, and usually what's a super tragic uh, event in their life, you know, and it, it just brings hope. It's something that not all of us get to do to give life. Yeah. And you can give a lot of life at the end, so. Cool. Yeah. Before we could jump into it, let's talk about you. Want to? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, okay. So you, when I was in paramedic school, you were in nursing school. Um, Michelle and I go back even before that. Um, you, when we worked at St. Vincent's together, um, even before we were both in school, you were still in the medical community, in the medical world. Yes. So I've been in the medical community for 
think a little over 20, about actually about 18 years. Oh my gosh. No, we're not that old. Yeah, no, we're not. I'm like, oh, this is terrifying. <laughs> I started working at the hospital when I was 17, almost 18 years old, wow. and swore that it was just an easy job and I wanted nothing to do with medicine. And very quickly that changed, obviously. What made you want to go to nursing school? I mean, out of all the things you could do medical, right? Like, I know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty familiar, I think, with your story of maybe going to medical school. Yeah. And then that didn't work out. And then why nursing school? Because you could have gone into anything medical, right? Honestly, this uh, just fell into my lap. So I... After working in the ER for about eight years, I decided I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, so I was on the medical path, and I ended up uh, ex- having a lot of fun in life during those college years, mm-hmm. and I now have an 11-year-old. <laughs> so uh, med school wasn't right for me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated from UNM with my pre-med stuff done and had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so I applied to different programs. Um, let me tell you for years, I swear I would never be a nurse. (laughs) I never wanted to be a nurse. Um, and the director of the ER at the time, uh, when I was pregnant said, just do it, we'll pay for it. And so I was already at zillion dollars in debt from my pre-med school uh, stuff. And so I went into nursing because it's what was available at the time, mm-hmm. and I knew it would give me means to support myself. Um, so there is no gushy, I went into it for the money, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happened that it completely works with my life. Um, I actually really enjoy it, even though I swore I never would. Um, but I chose critical care nursing, and I think that's he- much different than nursing in general. Right. Um, it lets me be me and uh, not all that gooey emotional stuff that <laughs> I just don't enjoy whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I did critical care nursing and uh, that's where I saw my first organ donor was I was the bedside nurse oh. um, for it and it was fascinating by far. The most interesting case I've ever been involved in and um Of course, during my pre-med stuff, so during my bachelor's degree, I did uh, the cadaver lab. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same, right? They're they're gray, and nothing's working anymore. Sure, yeah. And um, during the case, the organ donation case that I was a part of, um, I got to go to the OR and see them open uh, this person. And, well, everything was still alive and beating and... um, take it out and find out like where everything went and that's again something amazing came from this tragic experience for this family and I was hooked. That's when you knew I want to go be a donor nurse? I didn't even know that it was a nursing job. I thought it was a physician job. Oh. Yeah so I just thought wow that'd be really cool to be a part of again um, and probably about four or five years later into my nursing career I found out that they are actually nurses that are running Uh, the organ donation cases, and usually critical care nurses. And so um, a guy that I worked with at the time, his wife or fiance was uh, worked for New Mexico Donor Services, and they were moving out of state. And so he just happened to tell me, like, hey, there's a position coming open. Oh, wow. Yeah. And And were you like, yeah, yes, absolutely, I want to do it. Or were you like, eh, 
to know. I applied while I was at work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you really wanted to do I it. I wanted to try it. Um, and I think it maybe about four or five months later is when I actually started. Um, and I did it for three years. Mm-hmm. And it's exhausting. Don't get me wrong. They're 24-hour shifts. And they can be super emotional. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was probably one of the best decisions of my life. Really? Trying that. Absolutely. Wow. Would you recommend that, like, more nurses, more critical care nurses did that? Or, like, do you think it would be something that critical care nurses should be exposed to to really appreciate what donor is? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a a niche of people that um, would enjoy it. Um, I know that I work with a lot of nurses who are kind of creeped out by it Mm -hmm. or and don't believe in organ donation. Right. Like even amongst the medical community, there's a lot of people who um, have other ideas, you know, that maybe they their religious beliefs or whatever. I see would hinder them from really enjoying it as much as I do. I love the science behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to keep organs alive outside of a body is phenomenal, right, to yeah. watch and see. Um, and so it's something that I truly enjoyed, but I'm sure that not everyone would so have like, the stomach for it, I guess. I think it would be cool. Can I shadow you one day? Because <laughs> I just want to see. I want to, like, I want to experience the science I like you said. It sounds super cool. Mm-hmm. Like, really educational. Very educational. Um, let's go back. Okay. So, thank you for that ex- sharing your experience with it with us. Um, let's go back to what it actually is. Like, what your what the job of a donor nurse really is. And, and for people that may not know... Um, I just want to catch up. We're talking about organ donation and people who would be candidates to have their organs harvested, obviously, for people who are on a waiting list to get a match for a particular organ. Without that organ, they may die. And so for, like, take us back to the beginning of what your role really is. So this patient has already been declared deceased or going to die. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? So um, just a little background, I guess, on the body and what is uh, viable and what you're able to give. Yeah. So um, depending, on, obviously, on the cause of death of said person, um, we have the ability to transplant hearts, lungs, livers, kidneys, pancreases, um, intestines. And so... Um, one person who passes away has the ability to impact many lives, but you can potentially save up to seven lives. Mm. And then there's also tissue donation, which is a whole other thing that, um, you know, they do ligaments for sports injuries and veins and arteries for bypass surgeries. And that, um, so, I mean, you can truly touch I think it's like 70, 80 plus lives. With With just your one body? With just your one body. Wow. Um, In New Mexico, they do um, kidney transplants here at UNM and at Prez. And Prez also does pancreas transplants. Um, So everything else is flown out of state. Uh Um, And so part of my job was, one, obviously trying to convince the family members um, that this is a great opportunity uh, for their loved one. And then 
uh, evaluating each of these organs one by one and seeing what's viable, um, you know, what's going to actually give someone a good outcome and finding the recipients. Right. Um, and then making sure that those organs get to the proper recipients. Right. And that's what you do? That's like yeah, your so job my, as the donor nurse? Yes. Which, let me just, disclosure, I have not done this now for, I think, two plus years. I um, left organ donation um, as my full-time job about, I think, about two years ago uh-huh. um, because they were 24-hour shifts, um, which, while I believe it's probably necessary because you can't really get much done in a 12-hour shift all the time, I could not do sustained 24-hour shifts anymore. Like, it was taking a toll on me. Right. Um, however, I still have multiple friends that are in organ donation and mm-hmm. um, kind of stay up to date on it. It's something that I've truly enjoyed. And if given the opportunity, again, to get into the field where I could have a more, uh, I don't know, less of a 24-hour shift, right? For if sure. I could do 12s, I would sure. absolutely... Uh, jump on that opportunity so um but the position that I did was it's an ORC which is an organ recovery coordinator okay yeah and so you coordinate all of that administrative stuff but like like as far as what organs are harvestable is that a word procured oh procured Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to use it in a sentence <laughs> oh so what organs are procurable procured yeah Mm-hmm. procurable okay you know what I mean yeah <laughs> um and what kind what recipients are out there that could really use this organ you're you're looking for the match um I on my end I was putting out the offers gotcha. so this is what I have um and there's a whole database it's called UNOS and they um make the lists and they decide there's you know algorithms and calculations of who's best fit, um, who needs it the most, who's going to have the better outcome, obviously, um, from what we have. So I essentially was the used car dealer. (laughs) And there's a company giving me uh, and people on the other end who are finding those buyers, essentially, right? Like that's, I guess that's the best way to break it down is there's no money exchanged. However, that's, I have used cars and, and you someone, have someone needs my cars. So, gotcha. Um, and so we work with people all over the country, um, but mostly like the Southwest. Um, so I was talking to people in California and Utah and Arizona and Colorado, Texas, um, basically like our neighbors uh-huh. um, where they have the transplant um, places to put all these organs back in someone. Okay. Okay. Um, and so you determined that these organs are viable based on, I'm assuming, lab work and results? Yeah, lab, lab work, and... ultrasounds, CTs, biopsies. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so everything would get triple, double, you know, checked on um, blood type, obviously. Right. Like, yeah, so it's a several-day process of assessing each donor Mm -hmm. um and then trying to you know maximize or optimize the potential of that organ to make it work for somebody right yeah right getting like the biggest bang for your buck without money involved so to speak exactly okay okay i mean because there's not like 
not everybody can be a donor candidate and not everybody wants to be. So if you have somebody who wants to be, who actually can be, it's like let's let's use this person who wants to be used in this way after they die. Let's use them to the maximum ability to really impact the most people we can. Absolutely. With this. Yeah, it's a needle in a haystack, right? You need all of these um, things to fall into place perfectly, right? Like they need to be declared brain dead or um, the family has to want or they have to have already signed up for, you know, their organs have to have not been damaged by whatever mechanism took their lives. Sure. Um, it's not one in a million, but it's one in a million, you know, of people who actually get to do this. It's it's not, it's rare, I would say. It's not every person that passes away does not have the opportunity to save lives. You know, if their heart stops and you can't get it back, it's a whole different realm of donation options. Not You're not going to be able to give them your heart because your heart stopped, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's... I think one year that I worked, we, for the whole state of New Mexico, there were 50 or so donors um, of organ transplant. For the whole year? For the whole year. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, if you think about how many people die within that year, right, that's a teeny percentage mm-hmm. of people that are really donor candidates, um, I guess, that, that could truly be used to really impact other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And other people's families. Gosh, imagine, like, the ripple effect, right? Like, one one recipient gets a kidney that they've been needing or a liver they've been needing, right? And, like, that impact that that has on their kids and their family members, their parents, their, it just has this massive ripple effect from one organ, exactly. one person, yeah. right? And then, and then if you're saying that you can do seven organs... You can theoretically donate seven organs. That's like mul- like masses of people that can really positively be impacted from this one gift someone's willing to do. Yeah, you end up touching so many different communities and families yeah. and legacies that wouldn't have gone on without you. That's so touching. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about like, okay, a day in the life of you as a donor nurse. So like keeping this person alive, is that essentially your trying to keep these organs alive by giving different meds and uh, are they like intubated and they Yeah, like... so they're all on life support, right? Because their brain, um, so for the brain dead donor, um, their brain has stopped controlling everything so it turns to science to keep them alive. Um, so yeah, there's different uh, medications that are used, um, different doses obviously, like your body no longer reacts the way it would. Oh. Um, if your brain was still in control, right? Um, essentially, every organ in your body is just doing whatever the heck it wants, uh-huh. <laughs> and so you have to try to control them all um, while keeping everything working the way it needs to work, right? And perfuse those keeping Perf- those organs perfused. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's a full time job for sure. Like, and while you're doing that, um, you're also trying to coordinate an OR and find the recipients and, you know, coordinating with the hospital staff that you're working with. And um, it's busy. Yeah, it's absolutely busy. And, you know, one thing can go wrong, like, you know, you end up with a pneumo on this patient because their lungs aren't the best anymore. And 
then you're having to deal with that to try to keep everything else alive and trying to rush an OR because they're starting to not do so well. Right. And yeah, it's it's a stressful job, but at the end of the day, it's so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And time is of the essence, it sounds like. Like, I mean, you obviously can't keep people going for months at a time. Exactly. It's, what's the average time from when they're declared or the family declares, yes, I want to, they want to donate to when you're in the OR harvesting? We usually uh, would tell people, give us about three days. Okay. It takes about three days to get all our ducks in a row and get everything uh, checked and safe. And, you know, because um, all these patients now have to go through, you know, blood typing tests and HIV tests. Right. And we have to wait for those to come back and hep C tests and, you know, make sure this patient didn't have cancer that I'm going to pass on to someone else. Sure, and so, right. Um, and then we're working within the hospital's limitations. So I've, um, I think I've essentially worked an organ donation case in almost all of the main hospitals, um, in New Mexico. So we covered the entire state. So I would spend days in Farmington, days in Las Cruces. Um, I did a few cases at St. Vincent's where I started, um, always at UNM and Sandoval and Prez. And, um, so you have to build relationships in all these places too because otherwise you'll they don't want to help you you know like right. you're the guest in their place and um if you don't already have those connections like yeah. you will be put last right you know and you're like well I really need the CT or because it's time is of the essence like you said and, yeah um so that was a really fun part of my job I think was getting to know people at all these hospitals around New Mexico um and making friends in different places and, of course, then meeting the families. And, you know, we're a super small state, so you start talking to one family and then you realize, like, oh, they're friends with my friend or they're... And so, I don't know, the connections on top of this organ donation stuff has been... It's fun. Like, I still have many contacts with people that I've met through this and covering the whole states. Yeah, and I think, like, that's a good... um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's a good position to be in to really see the system within the state, like the kind of healthcare system that the state does have. Having the experience of being in all these different facilities gives you the experience to kind of step back and then look at the state kind of globally or statewide, I guess, and look at truly the healthcare system that we have. Absolutely. Um, getting to know the standards of each place and friends and you know, of course, I, going into this, I had only worked at two facilities mm-hmm. um, as a critical care nurse, and one of them I enjoyed, one of them I, at the time, didn't really care much about, um, and going out and seeing how it's done in all these other places, right, their, their protocols, their uh, teamwork, their, or lack thereof, uh-huh. their dedication of the physicians, or lack thereof, right. Was, huge and um seeing like what's important in other places like is writing your name on that board really as important as being able to give this drug that they don't actually have at this hospital anymore right um so (laughs) yeah and just I mean of course like every hospital is huge on politics and you know all that fun stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah but I got to see like where will I where am I willing to work you know like um who has that family atmosphere of uh, that I would actually come here and hang out or send my family here? Or, right, yeah, because yeah. you get to see, like, 
the positives and the negatives of the whole entire healthcare system and the limitations and just like how limited we are. Mm-hmm. In yeah, we're rural. It, we're very rural. Yeah. Um, there's so many super small hospitals that are trying their best mm-hmm. um, with what they've been given. And so it's it's pretty interesting That's, to see the inside of ICUs and ORs around our state. Yeah. And some are phenomenal, and there's some of them are phenomenal in areas that you would never guess, you know? Like, I remember walking into the OR in Farmington and being like, what is this state-of-the-art thing that I am looking at? Really? Like, yeah. And, like, UNM doesn't have this, I don't think, you know? And yeah. just being like, what? How? How? Um, it's, you know, patient rooms or their amenities or, you know, it's... It's pretty cool. And or even attitudes. Like oh my gosh. the attitudes, attitudes of the staff, huge. right? And mm-hmm. the the way that the staff is willing to help you and guide you yeah. or g- help you when you are like you need a resource or who do you go to for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Some places I would walk in, they'd be like, hey, here's where we've sat you a desk. Here's wow. you know, everything you need. Here's oh, our here's break this room. Exactly. <laughs> and then other places when you're like, hey, I'm the organ recovery coordinator, they're like, ugh. Um, I'm like oh this is going to be a great 24 hours (laughs) can't wait yeah okay so you're here to take over that patient bye right here's their chart Mm -hmm. yeah let me know if you need anything please don't though (laughs) (laughs) right I have a patient that's crashing I gotta go bye yeah Yeah. good luck so tell us um, now that we kind of have a little bit of a of a foundation and people listening kind of understand a little bit more about what it takes to actually harvest some organs, procure some procure, organs. That's probably yeah. the better, the PC word, procure. Procure the organs from a donor patient. Um, what kind of things have you seen or have you seen? Any things from EMS that we've done that have hindered patients or helped patients? Um, or is there like things you want us to know? You know, I was thinking about this question last night um, because I don't really often think about pre-hospital, right? Um, don't worry. We don't think about you either. I know. <laughs> as far as the organ part, um, except obviously they're on the scene and all these people. Um, I, the, okay, let's start over. That's okay. I don't know what EMS necessarily could do differently in any potential donor um, right, because you're already doing your job. You're doing your best to do CPR on these patients, bring them back to life. You're getting access. You're, um, you're doing that that code, right? And there's, you do it the same every time, so it doesn't really matter. Like, oh, does this one have a heart on their driver's license? I don't think that's going to ever change um, the outcome on the donor end, right? Because you have to work that code, overdose, gunshot wound, whatever it is the best you can, but obviously your goal is always to bring them back to life. Right. And I think even in being an ICU nurse, we work these codes and then at the end we see that, oh man, like we're 10 minutes in and we got pulses back, but we can already tell that there's not going to be a purposeful life at the end, right? They're posturing, their pupils are blown, and we're like, great, now I have this body but is this, was this a good outcome? Had we stopped a minute ago, is this the outcome? I think that I often as a nurse 
even struggle with like, I just worked my butt off and now I brought him back. Would they actually want this? Right. You know? Yeah. Like, and we think in pre-hospital, like, is this, we, we call a save somebody, not somebody we got Rosk on, but somebody who actually walks out of the hospital cognitively intact. Exactly. That's what we consider And I save. think we do too, 99% of the time as, as ICU nurses. Those are our successes. Sure. However, in thinking like, okay, hey, I'm transporting this person who's posturing, mm-hmm. who's probably not going to have a good outcome. I've worked my butt off. I think the silver lining in that is you know they're probably herniating, mm-hmm. but you're going to get them to a facility as fast as possible. And if that hospital can stabilize them, you may actually, from that one arrest, save eight people. Right. Right. You're not going to save their life. Yeah. Their outcome is not going to change. But knowing that you potentially saved countless other lives with your high quality CPR and your, you know, I think that's the, um, it's just the reward at the end because you don't, I, I feel when I code someone and their uh, return isn't the best, mm-hmm. right? Their ROSC is not going to let them walk out. Right. Somewhat defeated. Like, oh, what should I have done that? Well, and not only should that, but also... On an ethical standpoint, not as a career, but like... Right, yeah, like I think personally, exactly. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but I also think about like, um, what what damage did I do to this person with all of the epi I gave them and all the compressions we did and like all of the physical, because we... We vow to do no harm to our patients. That's like first and foremost, right? Right. Our oath is to do no harm. But then like if you're working 94-year-old grandma, you're going to do some physical damage because her body's so frail. Exactly. And, and, And the work that we have to do in CPR, there's a standard that you have to meet in order for it to even be effective. And that standard is a is a little bit more physically harsh for 94-year-old grandma than it would be for 30-year-old someone else. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So the the issue in the pre-hospital, though, I think, where I think there may be a disconnect, and I think this might actually, I'm hoping anyone listening, this could plant a seed to kind of open up deeper conversations and bigger conversations of this is because some of the perspectives and mentality in pre-hospitals, if it's a trauma arrest, right, they got to get, Bright lights, cold steel, within an hour, they're going to die. Right. But like trauma arrest, it's like thinking about the mechanism in that person and you arrive on scene and they just died or they're about to die. We declare that like a trauma arrest. And so, or people who we stop working codes on and and just just call an MSEP and get a doc to give us an okay to stop resuscitation. It's like those kinds of things to think about for us is, is this person, is that even a thought? Like, is it realistic that pre-hospital can even think of those things, do you think? I don't know. I I mean, I, without ROSC, no. It won't have any change, right? But if you are, I guess, working someone who, you know those codes that go on forever because they, you get ROSC and then they code again yeah. as you're loading them. Yeah. And then you load them and then they, you know, arrest again. Um I mean, I I think it's worth trying one last time if it's some young, healthy person, you know, whose organs are definitely not 
too damaged. Um, and the thing is, and again, like, I don't need you to just get Rosk now. I need to be able to sustain that mm. for the next three days. Sure. Right? Sure. Or at least 24 hours, typically. Um, we have done cases. I've been part of cases where they're like, hey, you guys have two hours, three hours. And I'm like, okay, let's try to get some kidneys, you know, to to pass on. Um, so there are those rushed ones, obviously, but it's less likely. Um, and so... I think more it's the that emotional piece of I know you guys didn't get this person back, mm-hmm. but you may have gotten seven other people to graduation or weddings or, you know, that part of. And I know when I was, you know, there was a few cases that I worked um, here in Albuquerque where they were, I think, tragic deaths, obviously, and EMS was part of. And like so, trauma deaths? Trauma. Uh-huh. Um yeah, and younger people. Okay. Where when they went to, um, I know one of the cases was done here at Prez in Albuquerque. Um, and when they, I think the patient ended up being able to save six or seven lives. Wow. Um, and so they did a thank you, donor services did a thank you to Presbyterian um, for helping us get that, right? Like that's huge. Yeah. Um, I would say most patients maybe do three or four on you know is is a good outcome right to be able to get three or four organs um so to get almost all of them is huge Mm -hmm. um and so ems was invited to that luncheon so it was like the battalion chief um because they worked this patient in the field Uh got him back and gave us enough time to do what we need to do to get all these organs um and so i think bringing EMS more into um, the success stories um, would be huge in the community outreach of like you went home thinking you didn't save much or right because you don't hear about what happens to your patients you drop them off and you go about yeah Um, but being like oh yeah that one case this is the outcome Mm -hmm. so rewarding and and that crew or those those EMS people who were involved in that particular case they're never gonna forget it like they're right. never gonna forget that person and the fact that that person really saved that many other people like they'll never forget that they'll never forget the circumstances mm-hmm. or what the scene looked like or any of that like it's so positively impactful yeah because you don't get us. many of those wins working ems i don't think you don't ever get to see or often you don't get to see like oh that drowning kid yeah. Here's what they're doing today. Right. right? Like you're done once yeah. you hit the hospital. And we only know about how they're doing if they come by the station and tell us and right. come bring us cookies or a card or whatever. That's really the only way that we know really, truly what happened to those people. Right. And that's not often. Exactly. And even like in working ICU, it's the same. You know, like we stabilize them. They leave. Hardly ever do they come back. Right. But when you do see them coming back in after, you know, their LTAC and their rehab and you're like, oh, wow. Like when I went home exhausted, it was worth it. Right. Like this guy's out making babies or, you know, like. (laughs) Or or being able to see their babies born Mm -hmm. because they got the liver they needed or the the kidney they needed or whatever. Right. Or even even the cornea. Right. Can't you transplant those? Yep. And they get to see again? See again. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, so on that note, share with us a patient 
that really impacted you, like their story? Because obviously the patient's not talking to you and like, Oh, Michelle. (laughs) That would be creepy, right? (laughs) It means I'm in the wrong place, which has happened. So I'm not going to. Oh, I wish I could see that one. It's happened. (laughs) Just to see the look on your face of, hello. (laughs) Yeah, no, it. I'm not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so let's not talk about that patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't name that place. Um, but the a patient who's who's maybe family members or whose story really impacted you, not only as a provider but as a person. Um, so, I'll give you two. Okay. Um, that really changed the way I did my job. I think so. The first one was my very first pediatric patient, mm-hmm. um, and he, the little boy was the exact same age as my son. Mm. Um. It always seems to work out like that. Uh, just from stories I hear, when yeah. they have a peds patient, there's always a correlation. And so I went into it thinking, this family's not going to want to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could want to do this if I wasn't already involved in it, right? And let me disclose, I was not an organ donor until I started working for donor wow. services. Yeah. So um, because I had seen kind of the aftermath of it, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was a little... From the personal side, a little too grotesque for my family at the time to be willing to deal with, right? Because I'm gone. I don't care. But um, after starting to work at donor services, I was like, whatever. I don't care what they think. Like, this is something that I believe in. Yeah. Um, But it was a pediatric patient who I got to, I think he was about five, um, got to know his family pretty well. Of course, it's one of those things where the... I actually had um, seen the sister around town several times. Like she worked at one of the places I used to eat. So she comes into the room and I'm like, this lady looks familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up doing all of the pre-donation stuff with the mom and her family, um, which takes hours usually, um, and getting the case started. And I walked into the room um, for just a few minutes because the patient itself wasn't doing so hot. And I looked over and glanced at him and I had to leave the room. Mm. And I was like, "That's I'll do the medicine side from out here. And so I learned very early on that I needed to separate um, either the direct donation, like the patient himself, from the family. Mm-hmm. So either I got to know the family or I got to know the patient mm-hmm. for my own personal survival sure um to put them together as the same people was too hard right it, it didn't make it like too real too real yeah yeah too so humanistic of this is really a person's lungs and this is really a person's liver and this is this is mary's son's lungs and oh, mary okay. you know gotcha i gotcha now like, yeah um so and luckily the way the cases usually work like there was a beginning a middle and an end and like I said, it usually took three days. And so over a 24-hour period, um, I typically didn't have to do beginning, middle, and end, right? I would just do one or the other. Um, and so that really made it, I think, functional for me so mm. that I could, at the beginning, get to know the family. During the middle, get to know the case and just the patient. And at the end, it was just the the organs, right? right? And so I didn't... And while I would interact with the family throughout, I wasn't sitting there asking them to tell me stories of their loved one or 
trying to connect with them. I was right. just doing the the medicine side. Sure. And just checking in on them, right? Just being cordial and whatever, supportive and informative, but not, hey, so what did Chris really like doing in life? Right. Because right? right. that, that was that would happen more at the beginning. Um and then I would shy away from getting to see Chris's organs, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that really changed. And so at the be- at the end of that shift when the little boy, with the little boy, um, I passed him off to another girl who had young children. She was like, did you do his physical exam? And did you? And I was like, nope, because I got to know the mom. Okay. And that was the end of it, right? Like, yeah. and that's how it, I was able to make the career, I think, survivable for so long. Yeah. Um, at the very end of my uh, career with donors, I, I think we were really busy at the time. Um, and there was a young guy, teenager-ish, early 20s maybe, um, who uh, died in an avalanche. Oh. Um, and so the case went on for several days, uh-huh. and I ended up on his case for several days. Okay. Um, it just so happened to be the way that my schedule worked out, I think, and I believe at the time there were like multiple other cases going on, so we were stretched thin. Mm-hmm. So I would leave and nap and come back, leave and nap and come back kind of thing to get through the case. And so I ended up knowing the mom uh-huh. really well, knowing his story really well, yeah. getting to know his history, his past, his goals, everything. And um, one night I was actually trying to leave to go home uh, and take a quick nap, and the mom was like, will you sit with me for a few minutes? And I was like, yeah, of course. And I sit with her and she starts showing me pictures, like <gasps> his baby pictures. And oh, his, no. Him yeah. doing this and him doing that. Oh, and that'd his be so birthday. hard. And I had already like allocated all of his organs and I knew the story, you know, inside and out. And I knew where everything was going. And I think we were just waiting for an OR. Uh-huh. Um, and it, this case then became like well known in the, media and so when I went home I was still seeing his pictures right right and then it was all over Facebook and so when I get on Facebook it was all over Facebook and it was just this case that just would not leave I see um every time I turned around like there was another I think it was like in People magazine or you know what I mean I'm like I just need to move on right like yeah because I felt for the mom I felt for him like his potential right and it was just so overwhelming um, and then my very next case had my same name and was right around by na- my age. And I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just no matter where I turn, <laughs> it's all just like closing in. Yeah. Um, and so that was really the point where I was like, you're not compartmentalizing very well anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like to bring my work home. Like I leave it there. Right. Um, and so once I couldn't escape it anymore, I was like, okay, let's try something different. So I went into administration. Oh. <laughs> I know. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last long. Okay. Um, so I think that um, – sorry, I was just trying to think of your case, actually. Um, <laughs> so I could see how that would follow you from the the – case itself and then you see it in the media and in the news and that kind of stuff like you know this person better than you know you know this person but you don't know this person like you know that you've never spoken to this person in your whole life but you know 
everything. Intimate details. Like, you know this, this person is I know his birthmarks. You know what I mean? Oh, like, my gosh. Well, not only that, but you know what he looked like as a baby. Yeah. And you know you know what he used to play with when he was a little kid and what he wanted to be when he grew up and all this, right? Like, yeah. you learned so much about this person but didn't even know the person. That has to be the weird part. Is like knowing the person, but not truly knowing the person. Right. And that and was never even talking to the person. Never talking to him. Yeah. But I knew more about him than probably most of his friends. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And then seeing them in that state too. Like like they're physically alive, but not. Right. I mean And I'm gonna be there when they're no longer in that state either. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a... I think that's a really tough position to be in. Is that why you say that, like, you were able to sustain? Do most people who work in donor, are they not able to sustain? Um, it has a – when I started, um, I thought I would do it forever. And I was very quickly warned, like, this career has a three-year uh, lifespan, typically, for most uh, recovery recovery coordinators. And I made it to three years, which I was super proud of. Um, and there are some that are, one of the girls uh, who does it, she's been doing it for a long time. And I think once you're in the field, you're in the field. Like there's nothing more rewarding. Um, and it'll always have a place in your heart. Um, but you have to find balance more than in any other career that I could think of. Like, if you're not taking care of yourself, I mean, even as, you know, an ICU nurse, you're there with people on their worst days. Yeah. Um, and so you have to find balance. Yeah. Like, and the same with EMS, Well, I was right? going to say, like, that's kind of like a common theme. I think if I look back on all the other episodes that we've recorded, there's this common theme of self-care and mental Absolutely. health. Absolutely. Right? And so it ties into that. And I, and I really like that you tie it in to to ICU and EMS and nursing in general of the profession that we're in, there has to be self-care for us, for anybody, who, if, whether you're working in the ER, you're working in ICU or you're a donor or you're pre-hospital, there has to be self-care because of the nature of the work that we're the doing. The nature of the work is most people don't have any idea what we do or what we see or and often, you know, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I had this amazing case or this amazing patient or, you know, I, I got to see this or that. or And unless it's someone who's in the medical, you know, like field with me, they're like, oh, my gosh, why is that interesting to you? What is wrong? Right. Like, you know, we always don't talk about poop at dinner. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> but I have so much <laughs> to talk about. Hold on. Let me, can I get another brownie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's funny because I. I find that throughout the years, uh, the only way to survive it is to have other friends who I can share stories with, mm -hmm. right? Invent mm -hmm. to and be like, how, if you were in this situation, how would you deal with this? Because it gets overwhelming for sure. And, um, well, and, and not having to be censored either, right? Like, so right. you can just be straight up and be like, I had this patient, and you can just kind of be honest with the reality of it you don't have to like censor it for like uh, your partner or someone right because then they're like i can't handle blood and guts so you yeah. can't really be what's wrong with you right, like, <laughs> or they're like don't tell me the bloody parts or whatever right it's like you don't with those friends that you have you don't have to yeah. be censored you can right. just kind of vent and right. let it 
go. Why would you think that's a funny way to die? Right. right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing at that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And uh, I, I think it was just a, a point in my life where I was like, not doing enough self care. Oh yeah. Um, and so when I stepped back, I was like, it wasn't the case, right? Like it wasn't the media attention. It was where I was at in my own personal life that I wasn't able to separate as well anymore. And um, like I said, I've been gone for about two years from it now. And I'm like, that was the most fun, interesting, rewarding time in my life. Yeah. For sure. So do you think, though, in the two years, if you had an opportunity to go back, do you think in those, like, having that two-year break, you've grown as a person, and now you're able to reflect on that time and look and be like, well, I would have done this differently, or I would still do this, or, like, do you think if you had the opportunity to go back, you would be walking into that differently, like a changed person? Yes. Um even going back to bedside, like I had left bedside now for four years, I think. Um, and I just went back now during COVID. I've mm-hmm. been doing COVID ICU, which I swore like, oh, I hated bedside. I never want to do that again. Yeah. And I actually enjoy it. I enjoy it. You know, I missed being able to be me at the bedside because these patients, you know, typically they're the alcoholics and the liver failures and the overdoses that are going to live. Yeah. Um, but I can go in and just be like, dude, stop. We're, this is what we're going to do today. We're, you know, and I love that part of bedside nursing for me. Now we're not talking like me taking care of the little grandma. I'm not good with that. I don't, I don't do well with that, but, um, the sicker ones, right? The, um, and so same with donation. I think, um, I am very well aware of the self-care that I did not do previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that it broke me by any means. I just couldn't handle the hours and the, the it was consuming my life, I felt, quite often. Um, and it's because I let um, it consume my life. You know, it was, I'm always so tired. And, mm. you know, and I was like, are you really? Or is it just, you, you haven't been to the spa lately? Right. You know, and... Uh, recognizing that and being like, and I've always wanted to do more in donation. Um, I've had some friends who have gone on and done like the recipient side and work with the lung recipients and the, um, and I think, or even like the liver recipients. And I'm like, how amazing would that be to actually get to see that side of donation, the recipient side? I have only done the donation side. Um, we don't do much here, like I said, and so that would require move to a bigger state perhaps but uh, (laughs) um it's it makes me happy to have the degree that I have that I'm able to do that kind of stuff yeah 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 well I will say that I am an organ donor um and so if something tragic happens to me you make sure that my organs go to as many people as they can benefit same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Deal. Right now. Deal. We got a pinky swear going on <laughs> up in the studio. <laughs> and you all are witness to it. Yeah. <laughs> all y'all listening. Cool. Okay. So we're getting towards the end of our show. Okay. And I always end the show with three questions, as you know, because I know you're a faithful listener. I am. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so I always end with three questions. Are you ready for your first question? Yes. Okay. 
Um, if you could host a public safety announcement and bring awareness to something, what would it be and why? So um, obviously it'd be about organ donation, uh -huh. but not in necessarily promoting uh, just organ donation, but more I would do my public service announcement on letting your family know the decision oh. that you have made. Oh. Um, that is really hard to deal with at the end. You're no longer here to defend yourself or make the, and your family's like, I don't think she would have actually wanted that. But you've signed up for it, right? And so I- You have to sign a thing at the MV, the DMV. Yeah, or, or online yeah. or wherever. Um, and so that's hard. And so I think that would be my one thing is tell somebody that sure. you have made this decision. So it's not a surprise on top of all the other surprises. Well, as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, I wonder if my care pre-hospital would have been different if the family member would have said, Johnny is an organ donor. Take him. Yeah. Or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if it would have caused me to pause and be like, let's keep working it. Let's, let's roll. Go get a gurney. You know what I mean? Yeah. If there would have been some sort of indication because I honestly I can honestly say and and all y'all listening can really say Sam's a crabby medic if you want to <laughs> but I have never ever thought of this person being an organ donor and if just someone on scene your family members your loved ones like Michelle is saying they know that that's what you wanted done then that is just going to plant a seed for EMS because because truly generally we're the ones that are going to be in those positions and maybe get more than 50 cases a year right yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think, you know, when I walk in, because I'm like, oh, the hospital calls, and they're like, this person's not going to make it, and they're, we've seen that they're an organ donor. And I walk in, I'm like, hey, I'm Michelle, I'm going to be taking care of your family member now, they're an organ donor. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah. No. They're not no. ready for that. Yeah. In that, in that <laughs> and that time. And so so much to deal with at once. But sensitive. adding that layer of them having no idea that adds an extra 12 hours to my day. Let sure, me <laughs> sure. So, yeah, no, that's a great one. That's really good. Yeah, tell somebody. If you're an organ donor, tell people. Tell them. Tell your family. Okay, next question. Ready? Yep. What is one thing that you would want to share from your experience being a nurse and all the different levels you've done and, and areas you've been in? What's one thing, if you, if you could talk to, like, let's say you had high school kids listening and they're like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I'm going to be a nurse. What would you share with them about it? I would share with them that um, it's not glamorous. This job is disgusting. <laughs> um, it's gross. It can be, It's yeah. so gross, <laughs> yeah. But it's so rewarding. Um, but if you're going into it to, you know, be a pillow fluffer and whatever like I'm there's places for you in nursing absolutely <laughs> don't ever come to the ICU right like it's a whole other world there's lots of body fluids yes in that world and attitudes and people and you know people are interesting creatures to yeah. say the least especially under stress oh or man. in a stressful environment yeah. yeah um so I mean, I will never tell someone don't do it for the money because that's where I why I did it. Yeah. Um, and I think that people who are like, I can't believe, don't ever tell. I During nursing school, I was told so many times, none of you better be in this for the money. None of you. And I'm like, well, I'm already in it. So here we go. Right. right We're riding right. this out. Um, there's a niche for you somewhere. Right. There's so many different areas of nursing that 
you actually never have to see people in some areas of nursing, right? If you don't like people, you can still be a nurse. There's just different, there's administration, there's so many other options. Um, just find what you enjoy and can tolerate because there's no retirement at the end of this. You got to do it forever. <laughs> so, so I was going to say, so what you're saying is that if you go into it for the money, that's okay, but you better be prepared to earn that money. You're going to earn it's it. It's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Exactly. Word. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. And last question. In one word, describe your experience in nursing. I am going to say fascinating. Mm. Humans are so fascinating. Um, I would have never guessed that, you know, you just see the end, the the little, what's on TV in nursing. You never get to see the behind the scenes of, look what I just pulled out of this guy or, you know, and there's there's a story at the end of every shift, whether it's a good one or a bad one or a funny one, a funny one or, or a sad one, disgusting or, one. There's yeah. always no two days are ever the same. Yep. And I love that. Yep. That's a great word. That's a good word. Kudos to you. Word of the day, folks. Fascinating. So we're at the end of our show now. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. Sam, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a really good talk. I really, like I said, I think this is, um, a bigger topic that deserves more discussion than a one-hour podcast. I think that that there's – I'm hoping that what really comes out of this is that seeds are planted in people who are listening that really donor – donor services and donor when it comes to pre-hospital and EMS – we just planted a seed to begin the talks of making some change and hopefully really impacting a lot more people down the road. And even just uh, planting the seed in your own life. Uh -huh. I think that so many people don't think about it, even though there's, you know, all these commercials and it's at the DMV. When you're at the DMV, you're there to get your driver's license. Right. You're and not you thinking about... What can I do right, at the end of my life when I can't drive anymore? One more, one more <laughs> yeah. number and they're going to call me. Right. <laughs> and I hope that number's left already. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's what they're thinking. But yeah, so I, I really like our conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for everybody who's listening. Um, I got some recent stats today. There are 32 people who are consistent weekly listeners. So thank you so much. If you are one of them, Please send a shout out to me on Facebook. And I also just started an Instagram account. So. I'm an Instagram follower. <laughs> so um, if you're one of those, I really want to thank you so, so much for your loyalty and your support. And um, thank you all for listening and stay safe.